We are continuing a series we've been in for several weeks now. We're calling Echoes of Jesus. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been taking a good hard look at several stories in the Old Testament and really listening closely, peeling back the layers of the stories. And as if we have done so, what we've discovered together is if we're listening closely enough, we will almost always find Jesus in the Old Testament. And that's exactly what we have been doing. If you were here last week, we talked about Israel's search for a king. They demanded a king. God said it was a bad idea. They did it anyway, and it sent them off on a trajectory. Um, and we are going to visit the end of that trajectory this morning, really the fall of Israel and really what happened um, with that fall where they meet the Babylonian Empire. Um, and we are going to do that all through um, the eyes of Jeremiah, the prophet in the Bible. Our scripture reading this morning is Jeremiah 30, verses 1 through 21. Um, and what we do here is we love you to have a Bible in your hands and the Bible opens to that passage. It's just something about having it in our hands. So um, our scripture reader this morning is Sid Perry, and I'll invite Sid up. What we do here is we like to stand and we face the center of the room as scriptures read and we do so because this is, the, the Bible is really the greatest story ever told. It's a true story. It's the story of Jesus. So Sid, when you're ready, take it away. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. These are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. Cries of fear are heard, terror, not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor, every face turned deathly pale? How awful that day will be. No other will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and will tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and prosperity, and no one will make him afraid. I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only in due measure. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. This is what the Lord says. Your wound is incurable, your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore, no healing for you. All your allies have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. I have struck you as an enemy would and punished you as would the cruel because your guilt is so great and your sins so many. Why do you cry out over your wound, your pain that has no cure? Because of your great guilt and many sins, I have done these things to you. But all who devour you will be devoured. All your enemies will go into exile. 
Those who plunder you will be plundered. All who make spoil of you, I will despoil. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord, because you are called an outcast, Zion, for whom no one cares. This is what the Lord says. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place. From them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers and they will not be decreased. I will bring them honor and they will not be disdained. Their children will be as in days of old and their community will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. Their leaders will be one of their own. Their ruler will rise among them. I will bring him near and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. So you will be my people, and I will be your God. I think you said you may be seated. It's a pretty heavy story if you really take it seriously. Um, I have another heavy story. It's a story of my fourth grade self. Hanging out at recess, there were two um, playgrounds. There was one for the older kids, one for the younger. And I had just graduated to the older kids. And then in the younger kids' playground area, they were building a new playground. It was this sweet bronchosaurus thing with like, uh, like a slide coming down the legs. And it was really awesome. And there was a lot of construction going on. And so there was a porta potty there. And my fourth grade self and my fourth grade self friends thought, this would be a great idea. What if we sneak over to the little kids' playground and then push the porta potty onto the ground and then dump it all over? We didn't really know what was going to happen. And so we pushed it over and it all just started flooding the playground. They actually had to put caution tape up for months just to protect the students from it. It was a really bad idea. Kids don't do things like that. But I share this story because there's this moment. We pushed over the porta potty. We thought we got away with the crime, and we realized that we didn't when our principal, Mr. Sikama, with this massive mustache, it was a really beautiful mustache, and he said, Hey, um, I need to see you in my office. And so I remember walking down the hallway, looking straight down, and his office was all the way at the end, and I had to start walking. And as I walked, I had this terrible feeling in my stomach every step I got closer because I knew that I was busted. And and I knew that something bad was about to happen to me. And so I walk into his office after this terrible feeling. And he, the first phrase out of his mouth is, well, would you like a piece of candy? Which I said yes as my young child self. Anyway, I share this ridiculous story. It's true, by the way. I share it because of that walk down the hallway. You know that moment when you're busted and you know it, and now you have to face the music, and that you can feel it in your stomach, you can feel it in your body, you know something bad is about to happen, and you know there's nothing you can do about it. And you see, that is exactly where Israel is in the story that we just heard from Jeremiah. You see, the scripture reading this morning Israel has been at war. Um, they've been at war with the Babylonian Empire. And the Babylonian Empire was kicking their butt, really, just totally beating them. In fact, the Babylonian Empire had defeated all of their land, and there was only one city that remained. There was only one stronghold left. It was the city of 
Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem is this well-fortified city. And so the remaining Israelites, they kind of hole up in Jerusalem, and the Babylonians begin to attack the city again and again and again. And it's fascinating how they're able to survive in this city. When I was in Israel just a couple years ago, we saw this. There's this tunnel. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. And what the Israelites did in the middle of Jerusalem is they started digging through the bedrock and they built a cave or a tunnel all the way through the bedrock out the side of the city into some obscure place where you really wouldn't think people may be. And there happens to be a water source there. And so they had water and they could stick it out with Babylon attacking for a very long time. In fact, Babylon laid siege to Jerusalem for over 18 months straight, every single day. And there came this moment, there had to be, when the remaining Israelites in the city, as they're holed up here, where they knew that defeat was inevitable. At some point, the Babylonian army would breach the city, they'd kick open the front doors, and then a lot of bad stuff would happen. Israel would be finally and fully defeated. Israel would cease to exist as a nation, and they dealt with that feeling for a very long time. Now, at the same time as this, in the city of Jerusalem, there is a man named Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is a prophet. And Bible scholars say they refer to him as the weeping prophet. I would refer to him as the weeping prophet of doom because everything he said was bad. Like, you don't want news from Jeremiah. It's not good. And so the people go to Jeremiah, and they say, hey, Jeremiah, um, we need help here. Can you talk to God and see if God could maybe, you know, pull us a favor here? And so Jeremiah goes to God and starts speaking with God, and then God only gives him bad news in return. God says, I'm going to allow Israel to fall finally and fully. The temple, the temple is going to be destroyed. You are going to be sent off as slaves, Israel, to foreign lands. It's going to be just like when you were back in Egypt. And just as the people took this news so poorly, so did Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. You know, one scholar writes about this moment, and, and I love, he just uses a few words, but he's so right. He says, Jerusalem at this time remained disillusioned and helpless. Disillusioned and helpless. Now, when we read the Bible, we often read the Bible in a right-brained frame of mind, right? When we read the Bible, we read stories like these, and we try to understand them. We try to understand, well, what does this mean about me? What does this mean about God? What is the theology here? What is the history here? It's all scientific. It's historical. It's calculated. We're here to learn something. But here's the thing. We often read the Bible with our heads, and sometimes the Bible demands that we read it differently. And sometimes the Bible demands that we don't read it with our heads, but we read it with our hearts. That sometimes when we read scripture, we should feel something in these stories that we read. And our scripture reading this morning is one of those passages. It's one of those stories. It's a left-brained passage. It's supposed to evoke 
feeling in us more than, you know, examination or analyzing or something like that. And I want us to have an opportunity this morning to read this passage with the left side of our brain, with our feelings, with our emotions, to feel the passage because it is a heavy passage. It's an emotionally charged passage. Now, I know some of you are like, feel something. Uh, that's not why I came to church. I don't really want to feel something. I get that. Um, some of us are like, pass. Some of the fellows in the room are like, I don't think so. This is not my kind of thing. But let me say, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. And the weeping prophet was tough as nails, and he felt things, and he wore it on his sleeve. And so can we, dudes. We got this, I promise. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to read a part of the passage again, and I want us to read it with our hearts rather than with our heads. What I want us to do is imagine that you're the Israelites in this moment and, and you're waiting to hear back from Jeremiah as he brings this word of the Lord. Imagine what they were feeling as they were hearing these words that Jeremiah spoke. Are you ready for this? You guys don't look terribly excited. It's going to be great. I promise you. Now, those of us that are studiers and highlighters and all that, why don't you just close your Bible, put it down a second, put the notes aside, and just listen. I'm going to read this from the message version. So listen to this. left brain reading. Cries of panic are being heard. The peace has been shattered. Ask around, look around. Can men bear babies? So why do I see all these he-men holding their bellies like women in labor? Faces contorted, pale as death, the blackest of days, no day like it ever. A time of deep trouble for Jacob, but he'll come out of it alive, he will. And then I'll enter the darkness. I'll break the yoke from their necks, cut them loose from the harness. No more slave labor to foreigners. They'll serve their God and the David king I'll establish for them. So, so fear no more, Jacob, dear servant. Don't despair, Israel. Look up. I'll save you out of faraway places. I'll bring your children back from exile. Jacob will come back and find life good, safe, and secure. I'll be with you. I'll save you. I'll finish off all the godless nations among which I scattered you, but I won't finish you off, Israel. I'll, I'll punish you, but, but fairly. I won't send you off with just a slap on the wrist, though. You are a burned out case, as good as dead. Everyone has given up on you. You are hopeless. All your fair weather friends have skipped town without giving a second thought. But I delivered the knockout blow, a punishment you will never forget. Because of the enormity of your guilt, the endless list of your sins. So why all this self-pity, licking your wounds? You deserve all of this and more. Because of the enormity of your guilt, the endless list of your sins, I've done all this to you, Israel. But everyone you hurt, or everyone who hurt you, will be hurt. Your, your enemies will end up as slaves. Your, your plunderers will be plundered. Your looters will become loot. As for you, I'll come with healing, curing the incurable because they all gave up on you and dismissed you as hopeless. That good-for-nothing Zion, I'll turn things around for you, Jacob. 
I'll compassionately come in and rebuild homes. The towns will be rebuilt on its old foundations. The mansions will be splendid again. Thanksgiving will be poured out the windows. Laughter will spill through the doors. Things will get better and better. Things will get better. Depression days are over. They'll thrive. They'll flourish. The days of contempt will be over. They'll look forward to having children again, to being a community in which I take pride. I'll punish anyone who hurts them and their prince. Their prince will come from their own ranks. One of their own people shall be their leader. Their ruler will come from their own ranks. I'll grant him free and easy access to me. Would anyone dare to do that on his own, to enter my presence uninvited. And that's it, Israel. You'll be my very own people. I'll be your very own God. Now, do you feel the moment? Do you feel the scripture? It's that moment for Israel when everyone who cared for Israel no longer can save Israel. It's that moment where they've dug a ditch so deep that they can no longer climb out of it, where people can no longer save them and they can no longer save themselves. You see, this is what Israelites were feeling as they were listening to Babylon pound on the doors to the city of Jerusalem day after day, night after night. They knew the Babylonians would eventually defeat them. It was inevitable. And then I imagine they're sitting and listening to the prophet Jeremiah. And and then Jeremiah brings the bad news. It's not going to be good for you, Israel. God's not coming to save you this time. It must have been a horrible terrible feeling that there would be no help for you, Israel. Israel, you're going to fall. God's going to let it happen. It must have felt terrible. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? See, because if you feel it in this passage, that feeling is probably not a new feeling for you, is it? It's a feeling we've actually felt before in our lives. You know, there's that moment where we did something wrong, right? And we did something wrong and we're ashamed of that moment and we feel bad that we did this thing. And so if anyone found out about this thing, you know, that would be the apocalypse for us. That would be a bad thing. That's worst case scenario. So let's, let's hide the moment. And so we try to hide this thing that we've done and then somehow it's out of our control. Suddenly the truth gets out and then you have that terrible, terrible, awful feeling of walking into the room for the first time and knowing that everyone knows your secret. Have you had a moment like that? Or there's that moment in your marriage, right? Where you're in your marriage and then you step on the final landmine in your marriage and the whole thing blows up and the marriage is done. And when you think about it, you know that You are a huge part of why the marriage is done, right? You made all these mistakes all along the way. You know it's your fault. You know there's too much hurt in the marriage. You know that there's no coming back. The marriage is done, and it's out of your control at this point, right? 
perhaps you felt that. Or, or, or there's that moment where you get the, the diagnosis, right? It's this diagnosis and, it, and it's not good. And it seems like, man, this is going to be a steep hill to climb to get out of this one. Perhaps actually there's not a cure at all. It's something we're stuck with. And so we sit there and we're kind of dazed and confused because we don't really know what to do because the first time in our lives, it's completely out of our control. No one can help us and we can't even help ourselves. We all know this feeling if we're honest. We've felt it before. Right? It's the feeling of impending doom, right? It's the feeling of abandonment. It's the feeling of loss. It's the feeling of creating this massive mess and now coming to grips with the fact that now we have to live in it, right? That something bad is about to happen to us and we have no control over stopping it and we know it's going to hurt dearly. It's that feeling of when you're driving down the road and you see that car coming at you, right? And, and you know for a moment that that car is going to hit you and you also know in that moment that you can do nothing to stop it and so you just sit there and then crash, right? See, the question is, what do we do with moments like these. What do we do? What do we do when all our defenses and strategies in our lives to protect us, right, to keep us okay, they all fail and there's nothing we can do about it and all we have to do is lose. What do we do then? What happens after that moment happens, right? You see, these are the themes and feelings that the Israelites were battling with at the same time as they were battling the Babylonians. The same thing. When the inevitable happens and the Babylonians kick down the front door to the city of Jerusalem, what do we do then? I mean, we know what's going to happen, right? Moms and dads and children, daughters and sons, people are going to die on that day. It's going to be an ugly day. But it's the day after that day, right? Because after that day, the people that remain in the city, well, they're headed off. They're going to be carted off to Babylon hundreds, if not thousands of miles away into a new land, be forced into a new culture to do slave labor, most likely, and the God of Israel wouldn't be in Babylon. And God's temple would not be in Babylon. In fact, being good people of the Lord God would be awfully hard in this new place called Babylon. What do we do with moments like this? You see, these moments where we lose are incredibly important moments for us. Because it's in moments like these that our lives become fertile soil for God to do work every single time. It's why so many people find themselves on death row where they're going to die. The date has been set. It's up. It's over. They have no power over it. And they find Jesus, right? Because there's no one else that can save them and they know that this is all they've got. So they turn to Jesus finally on death row. You know, in moments like these where we lose, I think there's three 
really important things that can happen to us. See, the first is this. In moments like these where we lose, we can remember. It can cause us to remember, once again, something really important about our lives, that sometimes it takes losing in life to open our lives to God's life, right? Sometimes it takes losing to do that. It's often when we lose that God gains the footholds to begin transforming us and changing us and molding us into the people that God wants to be. It's when we lose most of the time. And there's perhaps an even more important thing that can happen to us in this moment. Because it's in moments like these where we lose and life is hard and it's out of our control. If you're listening closely enough in moments like these, you'll begin to hear echoes of Jesus in moments like these. You see, it's in moments like these where we realize that Jesus can relate to us, that Jesus understands us. Jesus knows what it feels like to be abandoned by those who aren't supposed to abandon him. I mean, Jesus was abandoned by God in the New Testament. Read it in the Gospels. In the Gospel according to Matthew, Jesus is hanging on the cross, right? He's hanging on the cross, and he's only just got a couple breaths left. And then on his last breath, right before he dies, he yells out this profound sentence. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Forsaken is just another word for abandoned. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why? You see, Jesus knows. Jesus knows what it feels like to lose. He's been there too. There's this third thing too, though. See, we must remember that in moments when we lose, that there is a future reward beyond the loss. On the other side of the loss, there is still a future. Even if it's death, there is a future that we can lose today, but God has us tomorrow. And if you look closely enough at our scripture reading this morning, you actually read about that. If you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah 30, 18 to 22. And just listen to this. It says, this is what the Lord says. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place. From them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers and they will not be decreased. I will bring them honor and they will not be disdained. Their children will be as in days of old, and their community will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. And listen to this. This is where it gets real, folks. Their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near, and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. So you will be my people, and I will be your God. See, we can lose today, but it's okay, because we have a future tomorrow that God is building for us. And that future is made to happen through a leader that is going to arise through the ashes of a defeated 
Israel. And that leader will be near God and know God and speak for God. And that leader will be a healer. And that leader will be one who saves. And that leader's name is Jesus. That's who it was. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this planet, and 2,000 years ago, Jesus laid the footings for this new kingdom on earth. That's what he did, and it ended with him dying on a cross and being resurrected, and off to heaven he went, and he is coming back again to finish what he started, to finish building the kingdom, and that, folks, is good news, is it not? Jesus is coming back If your divorce is about ready and you have no control over it and you're going to lose your marriage and there's nothing you can do, it's okay because Jesus is coming back. If you've got that diagnosis and you're like, man, I'm going to die, it's okay. It's okay. Maybe you even die. It's okay. Because Jesus isn't finished with you yet. Jesus isn't finished with this world yet. If you are in a moment in your life where you're losing in your job, your family, whatever it may be, it's okay. You're going to be okay. Because Jesus is coming back. He is. And that's good news, is it not? It's good news. Folks, you and I no matter what happens to us, we're going to be okay. We are. You're going to be okay. Let's pray. God, we, this morning, just bring to you um, all the chaos, all the loss, Um, all the ways where life did not go the way it was supposed to, whatever that may look like for us, God. And God, we lay it at your feet. God, we know that our story is not finished because your story is not finished. God, we know that your son came and died for us and we're so thankful for that. He provided grace to us, but your son's not done, God. Remind us of that. Remind us that Jesus is coming back and Jesus is coming back soon and we can lose now, God, because you've got us. You've got us. We thank you for that good news. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.